So how's everybody doing? How are you? Yeah, here just in time. All right. If you have your Bible, you can open up to Judges chapter 14. All right, Judges 14. Last week we began Judges 14, but we didn't get very far. We only made it to verse 10. So uh, it's my goal to finish 14 and 15 tonight. Um, we'll, we'll see how far we get. I'm going to try and make it happen. So, uh, so let's get going. Let's pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for this time that we have together. What an awesome opportunity, Lord, to get into your word, to dig in there, to see what you would be saying to us. Lord, you don't waste any words, so we know every word is there for a reason. We know that you don't, uh, that your words don't return void. So as we read them, I pray that you would speak to us through them. And I trust this into your hands. I know that you're capable of doing it. So I pray, Lord, that as you move in our midst, you would speak to us practically and specifically. Let us leave here knowing what it is that you want us to do with your word. And so I praise you for it. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Okay. 14 and 15. We can do it. We can, we can take care of it. Um, last week, if you remember, we began uh, Samson and he, he fell in love, right? It was love at first sight. He went out there and he was like, I gotta, I gotta be with this woman. I gotta marry this woman. So he grabbed his parents. And they, uh, they set out to kind of seal the deal. As he was making his way down to Philistine territory, what did he come in contact with? What did he see? A deadline? A deadline? On his first way down there, on his initial trip down there, what did he see? As a, as a roaring lion, right? This lion comes out against him. What does Samson do to the lion? Yeah, just boom, he tears it apart. Like what? Like you would tear apart a young goat. Um, so, exactly like that. Right? And you can all just be like, okay, now I know how he tore it apart. Like I would tear apart a goat, you know, because that happens. You know, so he goes, he tears apart this lion, then he goes, meets the woman, they have this conversation, and, uh, and then he sets out again. Then what does he see on, on his trip? What does he see? Yeah, he sees this, this decomposing carcass of a lion, and inside the carcass of the lion, what's there? There's the, there's the bees and there's the honey. And when he gets the honey, what is he eating? He's getting something sweet and something dead in every bite. And it, it became this kind of picture of sin and the nature of sin. It's, it's sweet at first and then death comes with it. And Samson returns, uh, and this is what we're going to be talking about this week. He's going to uh, go back for his marriage ceremony because he's... Uh, because he's an Israelite, they have the tradition of the seven-day wedding ceremony. And um, although he's in Philistine territory, his father-in-law indulges him, allows him the space to have this feast and festival, but also provides uh, friends for him, <laughs> because Samson didn't bring any of his own friends with him. Uh, so it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a great event to read about, but it's going to become uh, a debacle of epic proportions uh, and by the end of this marriage uh, festival type of thing that's going on there, there's going to be over a thousand dead Philistines. So with that in mind, it seemed like a good Thursday to talk about conflict resolution, right? Because it's going to be something in these next two chapters that no one knows anything about. So there's a lot of great lessons for us to get out of these next two chapters concerning conflict resolution. Conflict uh, is, is everywhere. Life is filled with a million little conflicts. Even as I was working on this message, I was sitting at the computer and I was typing away, and uh, I was I was wearing my my little short pants, um, which I only wear at home. You know, I never wear shorts outside of the home. You know, so it's reserved. It's reserved for my family and for Danny because she lives with us. Even though I never see her, she's like a ghost that haunts our house at night. That's the only time. Danny's around. But I was sitting there, I was typing away on my computer in my short pants, and, and the cat was circling my feet. And we have this new cat, its name is Toad. I was going to say our cat Toad, but then you might 
be confused because that's two different animals, right? But it was named after the frog and toad books. I digress. Anyways, the cat was circling my feet as I was typing away, and she leapt up and dug her claws into my leg, just dangling there from from my fleshy uh, thigh. And, well, that's a weird picture, isn't it? Joe gave me a face. He's, like, unpleasant. Uh, but she was dangling there from from my leg. And I took in a sharp breath and just... And then I grabbed the cat and I flung her across the room. And and some of you were like, oh, yeah, cats, it's the only thing you can do sometimes. Um, and I just, I threw her across the room and she went spinning into orbit and then she landed and she was fine. They always land on their feet. I put it to the test. It's true. And And she lands... And and I'm just looking at her, and I'm like, ah, cat, why? You're terrible, cat. He turned up the volume. So, and I'm like, ah, I should just, I should, I should give you to Spurgeon. You know, he licks his lips every time he, every time he sees the cat, and he's, he's like, ah, this, this could be a treat. You know, it's like a, like a Jolly Rancher that cat to Spurgeon. And, and I'm like, you know, I should just do it. I should just give the cat away. And then, and then I, I looked back at the screen, and and I and I, I continued typing. And and the, the next sentence was was conflict resolution. And conflicts, conflicts are constantly around us. They could be between people uh, that we know. They're, they could be between animals uh, that, that we loathe. They can be internally, and they can be with God, right? And we're going to see examples of many of these conflicts uh, in this text and get some very practical lessons about how to deal with conflict. Uh, the last communications course I took at uh, school for my minor was classroom communication. And in the, in the textbook that we were issued, there was a chapter called Conflicts Resolved. You know, turning conflicts into opportunities. That was the entire title. Conflicts Resolved. Turning conflicts into opportunities. And uh, in these two chapters, Samson is going to take every conflict as an opportunity to throw the cat across, across the room, uh, essentially. He's going to do just terrible things. Uh, to many people, and and it's it's interesting to see because it's very uh, practical. He isn't going to be gentle and compassionate, right? He isn't going to be forgiving and understanding. He's going to be harsh and unwielding. Uh, so there's much to see here, beginning in verse 10 of chapter 14. Now, his father went down to see the woman, and Samson made a feast there, as was customary for bridegrooms. When he appeared, he was given 30 companions. So they get together for this big party. Everyone's there. It might have been that Samson was very unpopular and he didn't have any of his own friends to come along with him. It might be that not many people knew about this wedding that was arranged between an Israelite and a Philistine. It could be that people knew about it and they just didn't agree with it. So they didn't want to come to be a part of the celebration. Whatever the case may be, his uh, bridal party is filled out with Philistines, and they're just provided for him, these 30 men to match her 30 women. And and so they're all at this party, they're having a good time, Samson decides to spice up the evening. So he says in verse 12, let me tell you a riddle, Samson said to them, uh, if you can give me the answer within the seven days of the feast, I will give you 30 linen garments and 30 sets of clothes. If you cannot tell me the answer, you must give me 30 linen garments and 30 sets of clothes. Now, tell us your riddle, they said. Let's hear it. So so there it is. And then and, and, and the, the bet's thrown down. You know, here's the riddle. Uh, 30 suits are on the line, right? And they, they accept it. And, and you got to imagine that they accept it because they're probably thinking, uh, you know, here's Samson. He's... He's the strong guy. And what's the assumption about strong guys? Is, is yeah, is, is that they're just kind of dullards. So he's like, he's going to be all brawn and no brains. He's going to give us a riddle. And it's going to be easy for us to solve. We're going to get a suit out of it, each and every one of us. So they go into it with, the, with this kind of uh, assumption. Then he says to them in verse, verse 14, Out of the eater, something to eat. Out of the strong, something sweet. And for three days... They could not give the answer. And I think this really came as a shock to them. It's like, who would have thought that Samson had in him the potential to stump them? You know, who would have ever thought that the buff guy would also be really clever and cunning? You know, it's it's like uh, in, in high school. Maybe some of you experienced the same thing in high school. I hated that in high school our star quarterback on the football team was also in all honors classes. 
It just annoyed me. It seems like God gave him a disproportionate amount of favor when he was creating this person. And so, you know, you, if you're the, if you're the star athlete, you should be a dullard, you know, because that's, that's the way that the universe is balanced for people like me. Because I can't throw a ball to save my life, but, uh, but, you know, I could read a book sometimes, you know, so it's like it should balance out in this kind of way. But Samson, you know, he's no dummy. He poses this riddle to them and they're completely confounded by it. Now in this riddle, he's boasting about what he's done. But it's something that no one could have possibly known about because Samson hasn't told anyone, including his parents, what he did to this lion. You know, we know the answer to the riddle. It's out of this lion came this sweet honey. But Samson had him. He knew that nobody could possibly guess to the answer, to the, or the answer to this riddle. It's completely counterintuitive. So he's thinking, well, I'm about to get 30 suits all for myself. And what a fantastic thing that would be, right? You'd have to do laundry once a month. So I mean, he's gonna be—he's gonna be great. He's gonna have a new outfit for every day of the every day of the month. Uh, now, verse fifteen, we continue. On the fourth day, they said to Samson's wife, "Coax your husband into explaining the riddle for us, or we will burn you and your father's household to death." Did you invite us here to rob us? So it started off as this very friendly wager has become something terrible, devastating, and deadly, and. And the Philistines threaten her with this kind of dramatic action. They're going to kill her. They're going to kill her family unless she gives them the answer to the riddle. Verse 16, Samson's wife threw herself on him, sobbing. You hate me. You don't really love me. You've, you've given my people a riddle, but you haven't told me the answer. I haven't even explained it to my father or mother, he replied. So why should I explain it to you? And she cried the whole seven days of the feast. And this is his wedding, and she's crying all throughout the wedding. And so that's a terrible thing. So on the seventh day, he finally told her, because she continued to press him, she in turn explained the riddle to her people. And before uh, sunset on the seventh day, the men of the town said to him, what is sweeter than honey and what is stronger than a lion? So she warmed down. She got the answer from him. You know, and and I don't I don't care who you are. I don't care how strong you think you are. Uh, the the tears of a woman are like kryptonite to a man, and she exploits this. You know, and she knows this, and she's she just you know all she's got to do is turn on the waterworks. She gets the answer from Samson, and she, and she just turns around and she gives it right to her people. And the the people they turn around, and they give it right back to Samson, and they're like, okay, it's honey from a lion. From a lion, this is the answer. And Samson says this absolutely classic line. Uh, continuing there in this verse, Samson said to them, if you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have solved my riddle. That is one of the best lines in all the Bible. It just, that is so hilarious. I mean, what a thing to say about your wife. You know, he says, if you hadn't plowed with my cow of a wife, you know, if you hadn't taken her to work, you wouldn't have figured out my riddle. And he was right, right? They would have never figured out this riddle. If they hadn't taken uh, Samson's wife to task on the matter, if they hadn't put his cow of a wife to work, you know, here's this guy. I mean, what a romantic! Uh, but it's true. This is this is how uh, they got to Samson. They couldn't outsmart him, so they got to him through his woman, right? And what do you know about Samson coming up in the next chapter? That this is exactly how Samson is going to be brought down in the end. This actually is going to happen to him two more times in the next chapter, before we finish out his life. When they can't overcome Samson intellectually, when they can't beat him physically, all they have to do is defeat him with a lady. We're going to talk about this next week as we uh, discuss the doctrine of Balaam. It's one of my favorite things to consider in all the Bible. You know, you really got to come back for the doctrine of Balaam. Uh, we did it one night at our home group, right? Tony, you still remember it? Huh? Quiz? No, no, don't save it. Save it next week. But, uh, but it's a beautiful little doctrine. And, and Samson's a perfect picture of this. But this is, this is how Samson is constantly brought down. This is how he, he they, they get to him. And, and, and the interesting thing about it is he's completely aware of it. Right? That's the funny thing about it. Because he acknowledges it here. He acknowledges that this is a weakness of him. He says, if you hadn't plowed with my heifer, right, you wouldn't know the answer. So he knows that this is a problem for him. But 
he does nothing to solve the problem in him. He does nothing to address the problem in him. Um, I'm I'm taking uh, astronomy uh, at at uh, Cal State San Bernardino for the the summer semester, and it's uh, well, it's out yonder. You mock my directional point, but yeah, it's out there in the desert. It's very hot out there, uh, but but it's an intensive, so it's this ten week uh, class that they've crammed into five weeks, and it's just you know I'm out there every single day, and it's uh, it's a long boring day but um so we're out there we're going through this work and there's this guy that sits in front of me he brings his laptop every day to class and as soon as he gets in there he plugs it into the wall flips it open and just goes on facebook and he's on facebook the entire time that the teacher's lecturing and uh we got our tests back and he got an f on his test and he's like and and, and he sits right in front of me so he turns around and he's like ah michael you believe this this class is too hard you know, I got an F on this test. <laughs> I'm thinking, well, well, of course you got an F on the test. You do nothing but play on Facebook the entire time you're in here. You know, while the teacher is talking about, you know, how uh, how mass and distance relates to uh, gravitational force, you're commenting LOL on your friend's uh, picture of a dog wearing sunglasses. And I know because he sits right there and I see him do it. It's ridiculous. And this is a problem that he has. But he completely refuses to acknowledge the problem. So he took his test, and he put it in his astronomy book, and he slammed it shut. And then he went right back on Facebook doing his thing. <laughs> and it's like, well, this is going to continue to be a problem for you then. This is going to continue to be an issue for you then. This isn't going to be the first test that you get an F on. This is going to be one in a sequence of tests that you fail because you're not breaking the cycle that you see before you. Samson knew that this was a weakness in him. He completely acknowledges it in this passage, yet he does nothing to change it. What does he do about it? He says, it's not my fault. It's my cow of a wife. He turns around and he blames somebody else. And this is what we all want to do. You know, this is what Adam did. He says, it's not my fault. It's Eve's fault. It's what Eve did. It's not my fault. It's the serpent's fault. you got to imagine that the serpent would have done it too. The serpent would have said, it's not my fault. It's God's fault. God made me more cunning than the other animals. But if we never address the problem, we're cursed to repeat the problem. So Samson acknowledges it, but then he simply moves on from it without correcting it. Continue in verse 19. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon him in power. He went down to Ashkelon, struck down 30 of their men, stripped them of their belongings, and gave their clothes to those that uh, had explained the riddle. Burning with anger, he went up to his father's house, and Samson's wife was given to the friend who had attended him at his wedding. So he says, it's my cow of a wife! It's not my fault, I'm perfect. And then he goes off and he kills 30 people. <laughs> because he's so darn perfect. Uh, he needs to get 30 suits, right? Because he lost the bet. And it must have never occurred to him that you can buy suits. Uh, because he just went out and, and he killed 30 people, took their clothes. I often wonder when I read the story, maybe I'm alone on it. I, maybe I'm just strange. I often wonder about the condition of the suits. You know, what did these suits look like when he gave them to the Philistines? You know, he just killed people and then took the clothes off their backs. You know, yeah, it's like, you should probably wash these really quickly before the blood sets. Because then you're never going to be able to get it out, right? It's a hassle once the blood sets. So, and then he, he just, uh, he goes home, goes back to his mom, and, uh, and, and so out the door, Samson goes. And after he was gone, it was determined that he probably wasn't going to come back. So his wife was given to another man. Right, and, and and if we're talking about conflict resolution, uh, this this brings about an interesting thing to consider, and it's simply that that walking away is not usually the best way of dealing with your problems with other people. Right, often uh, it makes the problem worse, can uh, exacerbate the situation. It, it's it's going to compound and become worse 
And, and, and of course, there's, there's times when it's necessary. I'm not, I'm not talking about those times. You know, I'm not talking if you're in a conflict with someone and it's getting uh, physical, right? Then it's probably smart to separate yourself from that person. If you're in a conflict uh, w- with someone and, and they're getting really emotional and really heated, sometimes it's best. And I was talking to Eileen about this before. And she said that w- when she was a teenager, she would, you know, and teenagers are all hormonal and weird and, and, and everything, and she'd be going off on her mom, and, and I should just let her tell the story, maybe. But uh, but she said she would, like, scream at her mom, and then her mom would just kind of walk away. I'm not talking about that. I'm, I'm talking about what Samson did. He didn't just walk away. He walked out the door. And he stayed out the door. He just left his wife. And he left her for what we can assume is a pretty long time. And it's not the best way <laughs> to deal with our issues with people. I, I'm i going to be honest, um, and, and there's a couple of parts in here where I was going to be honest, but I ended up just crossing it out. <laughs> I, was like, I don't need to be that honest. I already talked about my tobacco pipe last week. But uh, but I decided that, that I would share this story with you because I, uh, I often used this to deal with conflict, especially with my brother. You know, there's... Uh, that sounds... That sounds broken. Uh, there's, a, <laughs> there's, uh, there was a family gathering that I went to uh, a couple of. It was about I don't know eight months ago or something. You probably don't even know what I'm going to be talking about. Why would I even address you? But there's, <laughs> there was, there was a family gathering that I went to about eight months ago, and I got into a heated discussion with my brother about abortion. We have very different different views on the matter of abortion, and 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 we started talking about if there was ever a time when this would be the most advantageous solution for everyone involved, including the child. And and we can both be very, I'll say, uh, boisterous and obstinate, right? Those are good, nice, gentle words. We're both loudmouths and stubborn is probably a more honest uh, way to deal with it. And, and because uh, it appeared to me that he was getting emotional and enraged, I just got up and I left. And uh, because of the life that my brother and I are, are living, we don't often communicate with each other casually, and I didn't end up talking to him for months after this. And when I left that day, it, it, it felt like the right thing for me to do. I felt like I'm ending the conflict right here before it gets too out of control. And I walked out the door like maybe many of you would walk out the door. I just kind of brushed it off. You know, I don't really let things eat at me like that. So I just kind of let it go. And I was like, hey, you know, this is fine. I'm, I'm cool. And I went back to my normal life. You know, my two dogs, hamster, cat, and wife. We don't have a fish anymore. It died. Uh, but my brother, <laughs> my brother, he, he had no sense of resolution to this argument. And he ended up spending the next three months in absolute torment. I, I mean, he, he's just constantly walking around with this sense of burning rage inside of him. You know, and this ulcer developing in him. And large chunks of his uh, flowing curly hair falling off his head. You know, and, and he was just, it was eating away at him. And it took me coming back and sitting before him and having this conversation with him for me to see, and this is the point of it, that what I had done was the most selfish thing that I could possibly do. And what Samson had done is the most selfish thing that he could possibly do. He was upset, so he just got out of there. I was upset, so I just got out of there, and I felt fine getting out of there, not giving a thought to what I was putting the other person through, the condition that I was leaving them with, the thoughts that I was allowing them to think. You know, the thought of, wow, you must really hate me. They must think nothing of me. They don't care about me at all, and he just stayed angry, poisoned by my memory. And that's no legacy for a Christian to have. Therefore, this is a bad thing for a Christian to do. You end up leaving someone with a terrible taste in their mouth when they think about you. That's exactly what Samson did. He got angry, he blew up, and instead of resolving the matter with his wife, he just called her a cow and left. Now, verse 1, later on, in chapter 15, later on, at the time of uh, wheat harvest, Samson got a young goat 
and went to visit his wife. And he said, I'm going to my wife's room, but her father would not let him go in. I was sure you thoroughly hated her, he said. Uh, you know, so I gave her to your friend. Isn't her younger sister more attractive? Take her instead. And Samson said to them, uh, this time I have a right to get even with the Philistines. I will really harm them. So Samson got into a fight with his wife, left town, walked out the door. Uh, and, and, you know, time has passed. It's the wheat harvest now. And he's thinking, I should really go apologize to my wife. So he gets a goat, and he sets out to apologize to her. And maybe uh, if you take the, the culture into the context, this would be the equivalent of us getting like a box of chocolates and some flowers. You know, he's going to go bring his wife a goat. He's going to go bring his cow of a wife a goat. It's kind of weird. There's a farm animal thing going on there. Cows and goats get along. Uh, but instead, he gets there, and his father-in-law says, I've given your wife away to another man. I thought that you hated her. Samson had given them every right to think that he did hate her, the way he left her, the way he talked about her. But the father-in-law had no right to give his wife away to another man. And especially after Samson had, we got to assume, already married this woman through this you know, seven-day celebration. So... He had no right. The father-in-law was clearly at fault. But instead of Samson taking it out on this man, what does he say he's going to do? He says, I'm going to take it out on the nation. So this gives us our second insight into uh, dealing with conflict. The first one, if you're taking notes, he doesn't blame himself for his own fault, right? For his own part in the problem. He doesn't acknowledge it. He does nothing to try and correct it. The second thing he doesn't actually blame the people who were involved in the problem. So he doesn't blame himself, and he doesn't address the people that are actually at fault. He reserves his anger for an innocent third party. It's an interesting thing to consider when you're talking about conflict resolution, and it might sound heady and conceptual, but it's something that we all do. I mean, it's something that my mom had a terrible time with when she was raising us. She, she was a teacher, and she taught for, for 35 years, and, and, uh, there's a weird, are there any teachers here tonight? I don't want to offend anyone. Are there any? No? No? Good. Uh, well, I'm planning on being a teacher, so it's, it's not like I, I have some disdain for teachers. But, um, it seems like a lot of people that, that are teachers and that work at elementary schools, the longer they teach at an elementary school, the more they begin to act like the children that they teach. And her school, it was a vile environment. I mean, the, the, these other teachers, her coworkers, they were always gossiping and slandering and being clicky and juvenile. And they were, they were always trying to box her out of her, you know, special bathroom because she was the only teacher that was handicapped. And they were like, you know, that's not right. She shouldn't have her, her own space. And they would go to the principal and, and it was just always a hostile environment. She would come back upset about her boss and about her coworkers and, and she wouldn't go off on her boss and coworkers. What would she do? Yeah, she'd save all that anger for us. And this is exactly what Samson did. He doesn't go off on the father-in-law. He just takes that anger and throws it at, a, at a, an entire nation of people. And that's what my mom would do for us. She'd come home and, and we'd, and, and, you know, we'd do something, something stupid. You know, something small. You know, we'd be taking out the milk out of the refrigerator or something and we'd spill it on the ground. Something that a kid would do. And she'd just throw a bunch of towels at us and grab the milk and go, that's it! It's the last time you ever have milk. I hope you enjoyed it. You're going to live a milkless life now. You know, and then we'd all just, you know, be like, what's the problem with mom? And, and, but we knew what the problem with mom was. She had a hard day at work. But what's the result of this? What's the result? What's the outcome of displacing your anger in such a manner? Did she settle the issue with her boss? No. No. But people yeah, she has a whole new issue. She not only didn't settle that issue, but she created a whole new set of problems. She took a small problem with a couple of people. She made it a big problem with a lot of people. That's exactly what Samson is going to do. He's going to take this little family issue, and he's going to start a fight with a thousand men. We continue in verse 4. So he went out and caught 300 foxes 
and tied them tail to tail in pairs. He then fastened a torch to every pair of tails, lit the torches, and let the foxes loose in the standing grain of the Philistines. And he burned up the stalks and the standing grain together with the vineyards and olive groves. Then the Philistines asked, Who did this? And they were told Samson, the Timnite's son, uh, son-in-law, uh, because his wife was given to his friend. So the Philistines went up and burned her and her father to death. So he gathers these 300, and the Bible says foxes. The word can also be translated as jackals. It's probably most likely jackals because jackals, uh, they move in large packs. So it would be much more convenient for him to gather a bunch of jackals. Uh, and, and, and people, you know, they, they love this story and they're like, this is completely impossible. This guy gathers 300, you know, jackals together, even his jackals in packs. But it doesn't say that he did it all at one time. You know, it's not like he just put out his arms and boom, 300 jackals, he's got them all. He could have done this over a period of time and he just starts, you know, slapping torches on them. And because they're tied together with their tails, they're just going to move in terrible, awkward directions. It's during the wheat harvest, so all the fields are coming in and he lights them all on fire, devastating the Philistine agriculture. This is a huge problem for an agricultural society. They depend on this harvest to come in. So uh, they're enraged. They set out for payback. Who's responsible for this? And it's Samson, but they can't get to Samson. They can get to Samson's family, so they kill his wife uh, and her father. And Samson was upset because his wife married another man, and he wanted her. He wanted her to be his own wife. But now because of his action, she's killed, and she can't be anyone's wife. It's the results are never in our favor or in anybody else's favor uh, when we when we don't deal with conflict the way that we should. It just causes terrible ripples uh, that affect us and the people around us. Samson didn't take responsibility for his own actions. He blamed an innocent third party for other people's actions, and he walked out on those that he should have been responsible for and to, to avoid taking responsibility for his actions. So everyone's a victim of this one man's sequence of bad decisions. And so where does the man go from here? Does he decide that this is the time to turn it all around and start making some better decisions? Well, Everything that we've read before this tells us that Samson is not that guy. So in verse 7, we read, Samson, he said to them, Since you have acted like this, I won't stop until I get my revenge on you. And he attacked them viciously and slaughtered many of them. Then he went down and stayed in a cave in the rock Edom. Now, I don't know if you ever wondered, and I never really noticed it before in reading this story, but... But for some reason, I noticed it this time, and and I couldn't help but ask myself the question: Why, why did he go to stay in a rock after he did this? You notice that every other time he gets into one of these confrontations and he wants to just get away and escape, who does he go to? Yeah, he goes to his parents. He goes back to his family. But he doesn't do that this time, and he doesn't do that ever again. Actually, his parents drop out of the story completely only to reappear at the end to retrieve his dead body, to give it a proper burial. He never goes back to him. And, and, and I began to wonder, well, maybe it's because this, this confrontation happened uh, in a place that was far away from his parents, so he just couldn't go back to him. There was a distance between them. And so I looked up a map of the 12, 12 tribes of Israel, and actually uh, where he is is right next to where his parents are in the tribe of Dan. So he could have very easily went back to his parents. But he doesn't do it. You know, Samson, he, he's, he's an interesting character. He, he's a man that is ordained to deliver the people of Israel from the Philistines. But what does he spend his entire life doing? He spends his entire life trying to warm up to the Philistines. He, he spends his entire life pursuing the affection of the Philistines. And he's constantly... He's constantly in a bad place as a result of it. 
and, and it teaches us a really interesting lesson about conflict and, and, and how the world can be a cruel mistress. Because Samson at this point doesn't go back to his family, and you could take that literally or spiritually. He, he isn't really with the enemy. And we see that conflict has just isolated him completely. It's brought him to a place where he can't be around anybody, really. He's gone so far into the world that there's no turning back to be with his family. And he's gone, he's, he's maybe just got too much of his spiritual family in him that everything keeps on falling apart when he tries to go into the world. He's found himself here uh, 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 completely alone, a man that has tried to live in both worlds and has found himself a, a citizen of neither. He's completely isolated himself because of his decisions, and there's now no one to turn to, no one to run to, no one that'll help him or understand him, and it's a sad place for him. After he does this, he just gets away, and he's all by himself. We'll see the one person uh, that that is has not left him and, and refuses to forsake him, that bears along with him. In verse 9, the Philistines went up and camped in Judah, spreading out near Lehi. The men of Judah asked, why have you come to fight us? We have come to take Samson prisoner, they answered, to do to him as he did to us. Then 3,000 men of Judah went down to the cave in the rock of Edom and said to Samson, Don't you realize that the Philistines are rulers over us? What have you done to us? He answered, I merely did to them what they did to me. This was the strategy for his uh, conflict resolution. It was, they did this to me, so I'm going to do it back to them. Do unto others as they do unto you. And this is a very natural strategy, is to get even and pay people back. So if people are rude to you, you're rude to them. It's completely natural for us. It's instinctive for us. Jesus elevates uh, the, the, the standard of Christian morality beyond this natural instinct. In Matthew 7, verse 12, Matthew seven twelve, Jesus says, So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Now, Samson couldn't be further from the heart of God at this point in his life. You know, he thought that the best that he can do, the right thing for him to do, was just to get even, to pay people back. And that's how you make things right. That's how you correct relationships. But God says something very counterintuitive. He said, I don't want you to do to them what they do to you. I want you to do to them what you would like them to do to you. And it's completely different. So it's not about getting even. It's about having compassion because you would like to be shown compassion. All right? It's not about uh, striking back at someone. It's about showing mercy because you would like to be shown mercy. So this uh, this is what God would have us to do. This is what, what, what Samson's attitude should be, but that's not the way Samson's wired. So he says uh, in verse 12, he said to them, we've come to, to tie you up, hand you over to the Philistines. Samson said, swear to me that you won't kill me yourselves. Agreed, they answered. We will only tie you up and hand you over to them. We will not kill you. So they bound him with two new ropes and led him up from the rock. So here we have the men of Israel, and they are so afraid of the Philistines that, by the way, they outnumber here, actually. It only appears that there's a thousand Philistines, and there's actually three thousand men of Judah. Uh, that they take the person that was ordained to be their deliverer, and they hand him over to the enemy. And it's it's kind of pathetic, you know. They don't want Samson to hurt them, but they don't want to be hurt on behalf of Samson. So they just say, "Hey, you know, could we just uh, tie you up and and give you over to them?" Uh, and and then and and they they just perfectly represent the demographic that just desire nothing more than to avoid conflict altogether. But it's also a terrible strategy, right? Avoiding conflict is it can be just 
is unhealthy uh, because nothing will ever change with the person that you have conflict with. The only thing that will change is the amount of resentment that we harbor in our heart towards that person. And it will become poison in us towards that person. You know, sometimes it's, it's right to address people. And conflict isn't necessarily a bad thing. It's just, it's, it's in how you approach it and how you deal with it. And by the end of tonight, we're going to see uh, exactly how to do that. So i got to keep on moving. Verse 14. And uh, as he approached Lehi, the Philistines came toward him, shouting. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him in power. The ropes on his arms became like charred flax, and the bindings dropped from his hands. Finding a fresh jawbone of a donkey, he grabbed it, struck down a thousand men. And Samson said, with a jawbone's donkey, I have made donkeys of them. With a, a donkey's jawbone, I have killed a thousand men. And when he finished speaking, he threw away the jawbone, and the place was called Ramath-Lehi. So the Spirit of the Lord comes upon him, the ropes fall off the hands of him, and it's a, it's a wonderful picture. And, and I trimmed this message down uh, from 18 pages to 10 pages, uh, so we're going to lose the picture. Uh, but it's a wonderful idea of when the Spirit of the Lord comes upon you. There, there's, there's freedom uh, that'll that'll uh, wash over you. And, and so here it is. The Spirit of the Lord, boom, he's set free. Uh, and, and he's set free to do what? To do exactly what he was created to do, uh, to be a warrior of God. And so he grabs uh, the jawbone of a donkey, and it's probably not the best weapon uh, to use against a people, but in, in the hands of a man like Samson, uh, you know, anything will do. And so with this jawbone of a donkey, he strikes down a thousand men, and, and then he sings himself a little song. Um, the interesting thing to me, when you read the Bible, you, you notice consistent patterns. Uh, and one of the consistent patterns is after a big victory, usually women come out to sing about the guys. You know, we see women, and, and Gil's, Gil, Gil's nodding. He's, he's, he, he knows what's up. I sent him my notes before the message, and I was like, nod here. Uh, but you, you see this, you see this consistently in the Bible. You see it happens with Moses. It happens with Saul. It happens with David over and over again. These mighty warriors, these heroes, after a great victory, women come out and they sing from. Now, Samson, he has this great victory, and what does he do? He sings for himself. And he sings about himself about how awesome he is and about the great things that he's done. And then he names the place Ramath-Lehi, which means the lifting up of the jawbone. So he's like, this is where I did it. Did you see it? Did you hear about a thousand men? I killed him with this. Look at that. I don't even need this. Boom, he throws it down. That's how great I am. Yeah, you see that? You want to hear, you want to hear me sing the song? I'll sing it for you. And they're like, no, maybe not. You know, but, but was this Samson's victory? Was it the spirit of Samson that did this? No, it was the spirit of the Lord. You know, Billy Graham often said something that I absolutely loved. Billy Graham used to always say uh, to, to preachers and people in ministry, he used to say, you don't, there's three things that you don't touch in the ministry. You don't touch the women, you don't touch the money, and you don't touch the glory. And Samson just touched the glory. He's taking God's glory. He's singing a song about himself, about how great he is, about how powerful he is, about how mighty he is. And he names the place after his mighty accomplishment. Oh, Samson, the greatest man. And, and we're going to see how long it takes for God to humble him. Now, continuing, verse 18. Because he was very thirsty, he cried out to the Lord. You have given your servant. Now he's a servant. This great victory. Must I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? Then God opened up the hollow place in Lehi, and water came out of it. And when Samson drank, his strength returned and he revived. So the spring was called En-Hakor, and it is still there in Lehi. Samson led Israel for 20 years in the days of the Philistines. It's amazing how fast everything could be taken away, you know, even from the strongest of men. And here's Samson. He's just had this amazing victory, the greatest victory of his life so far against the Philistines. He just killed a thousand men with the jawbone of a donkey, sings this song about himself. He's all puffed up. And then as soon as he's done singing, throws down the jawbone and goes, gosh, I'm thirsty. And I don't care how strong you are. You know, you can, you can punch the air all you want. You're not going to get water out of it. 
You can beat up a million bushes, and you're not going to be satiated by it. There's, there's this wonderful thing that God does. He brings them down with this simple, natural desire and says, you're not going to find it without me out here. So what does Samson do? He cries out to God, falls on his face before God, addresses uh, or, or, or recognizes himself as a servant, a lowly position before God. And as soon as he humbled himself and cried out, what happened? God miraculously satisfied his thirst. And Samson renames the place. It's no longer the place of my awesomeness, the place of my great victory, and how special I am. It's En-Hakor, which means the well of him that cried. And this is, this is interesting because this is actually the only example of conflict resolution in the entire story. The only conflict that's rightly resolved. And how is it resolved? It's resolved when Samson humbles himself and confesses his need. Confesses his fault. And God, and God shows grace and forgiveness. You know, the interesting thing about this is that this becomes a model for us for how to deal with conflict. And, and I only have a few minutes left, but I want you to turn somewhere. Okay, I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 4. We have just enough time to, to go over this. How are we supposed to deal with conflict? This story gives us an amazing picture. But Paul in Ephesians 4 gives us a perfect principle. Ephesians 4 verse 32 Ephesians 4.32, Paul writing, he says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. The only way that our conflicts will ever be resolved is by adopting both sides of the principle, because we all have a fault in the matter. You know, just as Samson had a fault, but he didn't recognize it. He refused to deal with it. He just walked away from it. We often do the same thing. And there's a... I'm going to tell it anyways. There, there's, a, there's a story that I decided to cut out of the message because I thought it might be uncomfortable for Boo. And Kareen and Boo were talking last Thursday after the message. And Kareen was like, oh, Sam's always sharing these stories that make me uncomfortable. So I was like, maybe I shouldn't do that. I'll check with, I'll check with Kareen before I share it. But I didn't. Um, Corinne and I, uh, we haven't gotten in, in many arguments uh, in the entire time. And it's been like 11 years now that we've known each other. There's only been uh, a couple of times that we've actually had these kind of conflicts with one another. But I remember one distinct uh, conflict that we had shortly after we were married. And it was kind of this meltdown situation. Uh, and, and it was rough. Um, lots of slamming doors and tears. On my part, no, I'm kidding. I'm a, I'm a rock, but um, but but she was very upset, and 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 it was over something just small and trivial, like most fights are over, and 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 it was uh, it was a misunderstanding. She misunderstood something that I said, and she, you know, took it to mean something else in, in her own, you know, uh, womanly mind. Um, and and I remember her coming up to me and saying, uh, "I'm sorry, I misunderstood you." And I responded by saying, good, I'm glad that you're sorry. <laughs> and, and that's in Christina's already on Corinne's behalf. She's back there. Uh, and, but that's the way we can often be. It, it, and it's because of pride. We don't want to admit our part in the conflict. And for there to be any resolution in this, there has to be a mutual acknowledgement of fault. And, and, and we see all four of the parts in this resolution between Samson and God. There's humility. So Samson isn't saying good anymore to God. He's saying, I realize I'm weak. And I realize I'm in need. 
there needs to be this confession. There needs to be this openness. You can't just say, good, I'm glad you're sorry. There has to be this moment where you say, no, I realize that, that I did something and I'm sorry as well. But there also needs to be what God brought into the equation. He brought in grace and forgiveness. And that's exactly what Paul talks about here in Ephesians 4. Be kind and compassionate to one another. And forgive each other just as God forgave you. There's a guy in my old church who used to always say, uh, you know, God hasn't called us, called us to forgive and forget. God has called us to forgive and remember. But that's not what you see in Ephesians 4, is it? It says you need to forgive just as God forgave you. And God has forgiven completely to the uttermost. You know, what has he done with your transgressions? Does he keep them and harbor them? No, he scatters them. Yeah, as far as the east is from the west. There needs to be this exchange of humility and confession and grace and forgiveness. You know, God has forgiven us, according to this text, so that we can forgive others. It's a powerful text because you see in it that God loves us so that we can love others. We wouldn't know how to love others if God didn't love us the way that he has. And if this is the type of God that we serve, this is the type of people that we should be. And this is the way that we should resolve these matters that we so commonly face in life. Not throwing cats across the room, as Samson would do, as I would do, but in loving and forgiving extending grace and mercy. Let's go ahead and close in a word of prayer. Most gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for your word that it can be so probing and personal. It can be so uncomfortable because there's these things just like we see in Samson that are completely natural for us to just return to people what they've given to us. It's natural when I'm hated to hate. It's completely natural unnatural for me to love. I pray, Lord, that that's what you would put in me so that that's what would come from me. I thank you, Lord, that when we're humble and when we're honest, when we confess our problem, our shortcoming and our needs, you're there for us. You don't strike us down, but you're merciful to us. You have so much grace and compassion towards us. I pray that we would be a people that have that kind of compassion for the world. Especially when we're wronged by it. When we find ourselves in a situation of conflict with it. Thank you, Lord, for giving us a model. But thank you, Lord, for giving us your spirit that is able to do these things in us and as a result through us. Lord, I thank you for all these things in your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.